iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Tribeca Film Festival. Please welcome filmmaker Ty West and today's moderator, Matt Dentler. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming out on uh, such a gorgeous day. Um, I want to thank IndieWire and Apple for having us out. I'm Matt Dentler. This is Ty West, um, hey. who made the film that is premiering tonight at 9.45. Correct. Tonight at 9.45, uh, I might as well just go with it. Tomorrow at 5, Wednesday at 11, and then Saturday, next Saturday at midnight. And I'll say that again before I leave. Yeah, I mean, and but obviously, like, tonight or next Saturday, maybe, probably tonight is like the time to see the movie. Tonight would be great because the cast and crew will be there and it should be very rowdy. Um, I believe it's sold out, but I think, uh, you know, if you can come get in the rush line, it'd be great, you know, it'd be a good idea. Cool. So, um, Ty is a filmmaker that I've uh, known for a little while. I, I used to program the South by Southwest Film Festival down in Austin and, uh, you know, I first saw uh, Ty's work when he submitted his first feature, The Roost, which was a great, great horror film um, that, you know, was, I didn't know Ty from Adam, but when I remember watching the film, I thought, you know, it's got like a really unique sensibility, a really unique take on the horror genre. It's essentially a movie, I mean, the short version, I think, is it's essentially about a bunch of killer bats, um, is would be one way to describe it, but the way that you brought your own style to the filmmaking was really unique. And what I'm curious about is, now that this is your fourth feature that you've directed, how has your sort of style evolved over, over time? Um, one thing I want to say that I'm just going to compliment you for a second from South By <laughs> is that this is why Matt is great, and then I'll answer your question, is that when I sent him uh, The Roost, the DVD didn't work. Um, and if you've ever had anything to do with making movies, nothing works ever. So. The most horrible nightmare was when he called and went, dude, your DVD doesn't play. And it's like, of course it doesn't. Why would it? So, um, but he actually was like, I watched the first 30 seconds and thought it was awesome. And so I, I sent you another one. And then you call back and we're like, it's great. Let's, let's do it. And um, not a lot of people, actually, I don't know, but I don't think a lot of people, if the DVD didn't work, would just go, ah, moving on. Because you must have shifted through... I don't know, 3,000 submissions or something crazy like but that. But what's great about The Roost, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's on DVD, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's this film that like, starts like you know, an old-school horror film. Like, you know, you're, you're tuning in to like a, like a 19, you know, 50s, 60s horror show. Yeah, it has like a um, kind of a B-movie horror host. Like yeah. a welcome to horror theater kind of thing. And, and um, we'll talk about yeah, that yeah. gentleman but, in a second. But, but, but what's interesting is, is it seems like your style as a, as a horror filmmaker is really, you know, I mean, you're really articulate and literate about sort of the history of horror film, and you're making horror films that maybe recall an era that a lot of filmmakers have kind of forgotten. Um, would you say that's true, or would you... Yeah, I, I think it ultimately is true, I think. Um, and as far as your earlier question of, like, progressing as a filmmaker or style, um, I don't know, I think you treat each film as what it is. Um, I, I've been fortunate enough to write, direct, and edit all my own films so far. So each film is totally different. So uh, progression of style, having made four features now, I'm certainly better at making a feature, better at uh, working with people, maybe, better at uh, 
coming in on time and just sort of growing as an artist, I guess. But um, each film you approach totally differently. Um, so The Roost was this pulpy Tales from the Crypt sort of vibe, which always kind of, it's not tongue-in-cheek, but I always sort of knew where we were going with it. And then Trigger Man is this very kind of experimental, arty dogma movie, which was a very different approach to making it. And then Cabin Fever was this outrageous studio comedy, which is a completely different way of making a movie. And then this movie was sort of somewhere in the middle of all of them. Um, well, and so, okay, so you made The Roost, that was 2005, then you had Trigger Man, uh, which was your fall, your sophomore feature, which not really a, a traditional horror film per se, but I mean, it's a story about a bunch of guys who go to the woods and, you know, they go hunting and then, you know, really crazy, violent, bloody shit happens. And uh, the, the, then you sort of segued and you, you made a, for lack of a better word, a studio movie, and we can, we can talk about that later. Um, and now you made this movie. Could tell us, I mean, since this is the movie that people, you're here to talk about and people are here to see, what was sort of the origin of this film? And tell us about sort of what the premise of the film is. I mean, I guess it's, you know, it's about a babysitter. I haven't seen it yet, but it's about a babysitter and this cr- creepy couple. Ultimately, yes. It's about a girl. It takes place in the 80s. It's about a girl who uh, wants to move out of her dorm. She doesn't have any money, so um, she takes this babysitting job to make money. And goes to the house, and the people turn out to be a bit weird, and sort of terror ensues and whatnot. Um, and it, it's kind of based on the sort of satanic panic of the 1980s and these, this phenomenon that people believe there was cults everywhere. But actually, this movie I wrote is the first thing I wrote after The Roost. Um, I wrote it right after The Roost came out theatrically. Um, and then it just tried to, tried to get it made, and it sort of fell apart. And when it fell apart, out of frustration, um, I just went and made Trigger Man, because I was like, I don't want to sit here and be the guy who moved to LA and then didn't get a movie made and then that was the end of it. So I went and made another super no budget movie and um, as I was finishing that, the opportunity to do Cabin Fever showed up. So, and then after Cabin Fever was done, I was like re-approached about, remember that script you wrote? Well, there's money now. So it was weird because it was kind of dusting it off um, and there was definitely elements of like having written it years ago and being like, ooh, I could do better than this. Um, But in the end, I'm very happy that it ended up happening because I, I think it's, I'm, I think it's my best movie, but it was, it was a very sad, it's a very difficult process making this movie, but it's, it's a very satisfying end result. And I got the cast that I wanted, and I, I, there's not a lot in the movie um, that isn't kind of how I planned. And um, that, just as a filmmaker and the traumatic experience of making a film, is, just feels successful in its own right. And, and where did you shoot it, and when did you shoot it? We shot in about March of last year in uh, Connecticut, Lime Rock, Connecticut. Um, don't know that I can recommend shooting yeah. a movie <laughs> yeah. there, but I did. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, originally I planned on shooting it, I think, in Delaware, which is where I'm from. But, um, you know, tax incentives and whatnot. So off we went to Connecticut. But we found a great house, completely gutted the house. Um, and, and Jade Healy, the production designer, did an amazing job at making it look nothing like the house. Um, to, to the point that it's almost, it's almost like, why didn't we just find a different house? It's right, so different. Right. So, so, so uh, Real quick, just to kind of give you guys some perspective, um, five years ago, what were you doing? Oh, I was selling jeans at Diesel in the mall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and to your credit, uh, you're part of the reason that I'm not. I mean, uh, well, you calling I me about the roost uh, snowballed everything. So. No, no, no. But the point is, the point is, is that five years ago, you were working in a mall at a clothing store, and now you've made four feature films, which is really, really fantastic. I mean, for for this film, I mean, it seems like for, for people who have kept up with your work, you know, while this maybe wasn't, you know, a big studio movie, it definitely feels like 
just on paper, it's probably your biggest movie in the sense that, you know, the cast is definitely, you know, full of, of really, you know, notable people. When you went through that sort of casting process, how did you decide who you were going to pick for the film? Because for those of you who don't know, I mean, you really do have a mix of sort of like new school genre actors and then kind of old school genre actors as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, uh, the cast is a, is a situation in which a lot of the people that are in the movie I had known and I'd always wanted to do a movie with or had done a movie with, so it just worked out very well. Um, uh, Jocelyn Donahue, who plays the lead, she's someone that actually came in via the casting director and I kept bringing her back and bringing her back and bringing her back, which you're not supposed to do, but she was a good sport and kept coming back. Um, and she, was, uh, she had it from the beginning. I just wanted to see how determined she was um, because we were just going to put her through hell. And um, she was great. And she really steals the movie. And, and if, if anyone really benefits out of this, I hope it's her. But um, Tom Noonan, uh, he was in The Roost. So, and, the, and he plays the husband he of the, plays cu- the, husband. the older and couple. The thing about Tom is that um, I had not called Tom to ask him to be in the movie. Um, he was in my head to be in the movie, but I was just too busy trying to find the girl for the lead and all this stuff. And I was like, we'll get to that because whatever. And then Tom called and said, I, I, you know, I got your script and I think I'd be great for it. And I was like, oh, well, that's really easy. So, um, and, I, and having worked with him before, it was great to do that again. Um, and then Mary Warnoff, who plays the, uh, his wife. She is one of my favorite actors of all time. I mean, she's a legend. I mean, you should sort of... She's a legend that you've probably never really heard of to most general audiences. If you're not, like, either kind of snobby art person or B-movie fan, you wouldn't know who Mary Warnov is. But she was one of the original Factory Girls with Andy Warhol, and she kind of came up in that sort of New York art scene, and then she moved to California, and um, she was in all these Roger Corman-produced Joe Dante movies and Paul Bartel movies, and they're these really amazing movies like Death Race 2000 or Rock and Roll High School. Most people know her as the principal from Rock and Roll High School. And... um, she doesn't really act very much anymore. She's kind of, she's write books and, and, and paints and she was kind of fine with that. And um, I tried to get her on Cabin Fever because she was like the dream person for that movie. And her agent was like, nah, she doesn't do it anymore and she was disgusted by the script. And I tried to fight with the agent being like, no, no, it's going to be a smart movie. You just think it's something else. And ultimately we ran out of time. Just all the arguing, we ran out of time and I had to go to North Carolina. Um, and so on this movie, we called her back and her agent was like, you know what? Just go talk to Mary. I can't get involved anymore. So uh, I called Mary, and Mary had me over to her house. And um, we totally hit it off and hung out for like three hours. And she was like, of course I'll do the movie. And uh, of course she said, like, I would have done Cabin Feeder had I met you, which was the whole goal that I failed at. But, um, uh, but so she, she came out and did the movie, and she hasn't acted in years, and, and she just is amazing. Um, and she's actually here, so that's another reason to come see the movie tonight, because Mary's really a trip. And, um, and then Greta, who's now, you know, also in part to South by to a certain degree, has gone off to be, you know, Greta Gerwig. Uh, but I've known Greta since, I don't know, Hannah Takes the and, Stairs. And, and she plays yeah. the friend, the blonde yes. friend in the film, yeah. And um, she can't be here because she's off doing Noah Baumbach's new movie with Ben Stiller and leaving us all behind. But um, she, uh, she's really great, and we had wanted to do a movie for a while, and finally it just made sense. Um, and then lastly, uh, A.J. Bowen, who unfortunately can't be here because he's doing something also. Um, he, I had seen The Signal, and I had become friends with those guys, and I really liked him in that movie. And um, he, he and I get along like, like, like that. So, so he's really great as well. So, I'm okay, you're on set, you're making this movie in this house that wasn't what you wanted. You've got these younger actors, you've got these older veteran, quote-unquote veteran actors... Uh, you know, for you as a filmmaker, I mean, part of you, I mean, well, I'm, I, what fascinates me about you as a filmmaker is that, you know, it's like you're so um, talented beyond your years, yet at the same time, you're a young guy, you know, you've, you know, in five years, you've made four films or, you know, roughly five years, you made four films. You know, 
w how sort of daunting was that process? Sort of being daunting or not daunting was that process? Sort of being on set, you know, working with like you know probably like prof you know professional actors probably for the first time really. I mean, people who like had been in the business for just decades who were just like you know probably felt like I mean did they were they collaborative at all or was it was it a good process well for me I don't think I would ever and of course this will probably happen after I say this but I, I don't think I would ever want to go into a movie not having a very good rapport with all the department heads and all the lead actors because um, you really need to be friends and you don't need to be friends because you can go hang out later you need to be friends so that the shorthand is really easy and they need to trust you and you need to be really confident so that they're not worried because you, you get someone like Mary who's in her 60s to come out of essentially retirement to go do this little movie in Connecticut. At any moment that there's a sign of weakness, she might just run right over you. So you got to kind of establish that rapport beforehand and know what you're doing. Um, and I was very specific about everything I wanted in this and, and we all had the common goal and interest. So it really wasn't no, I had no problems. I mean, this cast was phenomenal. Like, I had no problems with anybody, and um, I don't think they had any problems with me. Like, I think it was smooth sailing. Um, but I, I know what you mean. Like, stepping into sort of a more kind of professional, perhaps, environment. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I haven't seen the film, and I'm sure I'm going to love it, um, as biased as I am. As bi yeah. um, but, you know, I, it seems like, like, on paper, it's like, holy crap. You know, it's like, on one hand, you have to sort of, like, think about these younger actors who are, like, trying to start their career, and then you have to think about these older actors who are, like, you know, like you said, coming out of retirement. So it's like this sort of pull, push and pull between... Yeah, it, it, I mean, the way you're describing it now seems like a very sort of volatile mix, <laughs> yeah, but, but, time, but it, it worked for us. Now, maybe another movie could just be epic fail, and it could be a horrible nightmare, but uh, really, that was the easiest part of this movie was the actors. So so, so for you, so let's talk about horror. So sure. So it's your fourth feature, um, are, like, as I said about Triggerman, arguably all four of your films are horror films. I mean, you know, they're, they're thrillers, they're about getting audiences. I mean, I, how would you describe? No, I mean, horror is essentially what they are. Yeah. I mean, in the same way that you describe like uh, Rosemary's Baby or The Shining or The Exorcist is horror, somehow those movies, uh, albeit very good and much better probably than my movie, well, we'll just say it, they are better. Um, <laughs> The, the thing about those movies is they somehow are horror movies, but they don't get labeled as horror movies the way a Prom Night remake does or something like that because there's this level to, like, the filmmaking from those specific filmmakers that's, like, on a different level. And those are the, the horror movies that most people really respond to, and those are the movies that really kind of define the interest that people have in horror movies who like horror movies. Like, I like horror movies a lot, and, and a lot of that comes from these great movies. Um, and all the sort of bullshit B-movies are all part of it, too, but... You know, it's really that the, the, the sort of auteurist directors who maybe have done other movies besides horror that did a horror movie that just, like, killed it. Those are the ones to really pay attention to. Like, like, like what? What would you use it Well, going back to, like, you know, Rosemary's Baby or The Shining or The Exorcist or, or uh, The Changeling or something like that. All those movies are made by directors that have made all different sorts of movies and all very kind of unique movies. And they stepped into the horror genre, either for one movie or a couple movies, and they brought their take to it. And I think that... It makes the genre interesting because then you're getting this different voice in what is seen as like a schlocky, almost porn-like genre, but you're getting someone like Kubrick or someone like Polanski to step into it and do something really amazing. And I, I wish that more people saw that and then went, that's what the genre should be. But unfortunately, they don't. They see the complete opposite of that and think that's what makes money. And it's true. Like the kind of schlocky stuff makes money and there's a, there's a place for it. Um, and unfortunately, the kind of art horror or Larry Fessenden, who uh, executive produce, or produced the movie, he... Um, he used to always say the movies we were making were like um, B-movies with A ideas. Right. And, and there's not a lot of stuff like that. So it's kind of, 
it makes it difficult because I'm making a, a genre movie, kind of an arty genre movie, which there's not a huge audience for. But in kind of tying in your last question about like making a bunch of movies in, in a short period of time, like it's sort of a lifestyle for me, independent filmmaking. It's not really a commodity and it's not really just a career choice. I mean, it is those things, but it all comes out of being a lifestyle. Like I don't know how to do anything else other than plan the next movie. And if it falls apart, go make something smaller. Um, and that could be a flaw, but it's just, that is what I do. So. do you, so in a way, I mean, I don't know if you would agree with this or not. In a way, it's almost like you, people like you and Larry um, are, and Larry Fessenden, who he mentioned, who, who was one of the producers on this film, great filmmaker, great, great you know, blend of horror and art house. And, you know, it's almost like you guys are sort of injecting yourselves into the horror genre like Polanski and Friedkin and Kubrick and all those guys, but you're also, I mean, it's almost like, I mean, I, I guess the way to describe it, I, I guess, is that, you know, because you guys keep making horror films, it's like you're bringing that, that like, auteur sensibility to it, but also at the same time staying within the genre, not going and making the French connection and, you know, all that other stuff. Yeah, I, I, the staying in the genre thing, I think, is partially a choice, partially just what happens. Um, I, I have all sorts of plans to go make non-horror movies, but I'd also like to make a bunch more horror movies. So you kind of just, I've made four movies in roughly five years, so it's just kind of like you show up and see what's really going to happen. This movie, the money came through and it was like, you know what? This is the time to go make this movie. And the next thing might be another horror movie, might be something totally different. And I think, again, how I said, you know, whatever film you're dealing with dictates the style you just kind of it's wherever you are in your life essentially um and i guess last year i was in a very satanic place yeah. so yeah um do you do you feel that like um i mean like w like what is your take on like the modern hollywood horror film because like those films you mentioned the shining the exorcist rosemary's baby those were hollywood movies i mean yeah you know. but they were hollywood movies at a very different time right. and uh very high profile directors i mean i think larry's certainly more high profile than myself but if either of us had the high profile that someone like like polanski could turn around and make whatever the hell he wanted horror wise and it would be genius even before he even made it because he has the clout to do that i don't have the clout to do that i can try to do it and then you know, hopefully you guys come see it and help me out but um you know you kind of have to earn that and it's difficult to earn that nowadays because there's so many more movies and there's so much less emphasis put on artistry in movies, I think. Um, and, and especially in the, in the modern horror genre, you know, it is sort of like porn um, in that the reason people go see the movies is because of the cool kills. And even in my sort of meetings with studios and things like that, in my sort of Hollywood life, it's always been like, well, what are the cool kills? What are the best kills in the movie? And, and it's a very weird question. And, and this is what the studios are wanting to do. Yes, yeah. and, and that, that's what it's all about. What's going to make, who's going to get decapitated in a weird way and people are going to cheer. And I am a, a, a pretty sincere horror fan, but that's never crossed my mind as the reason to see the movies. Um, and a lot of what interests me, and I've kind of, in my sort of recent interviews, beat this to death, but what really interests me is like the contrast. And I think that's what makes people say, what makes a great horror movie? And I think it's the contrast between the non-horror elements and the horror elements. Because contrast is sort of what makes art accessible to a certain degree. And if you have a movie that is horror all the way through, it's kind of like, so what? You know, and then the whole selling point is just, 
you know, how many boobs or how much blood, then I don't really know what's different than porn than that. It's essentially just for titillation. So maybe it's not as extreme as pornography, but, uh, but it's the same, it's the gist of it. Right. You know? It's like no emotion. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. the same way that porn has, has gone away from having stories and it's just been these like gonzo internet things, horror has sort of done the same thing. It's gone away from being legit movies about horrific material and has just become hard, 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 open the mirror, close the mirror, and there's a thing there. It's, and that's all that people count on anymore. Right. And I think it's tired, and I think people see that, but I don't think people make enough effort to look for something else. Do you, um, I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, do you, how do you feel about sort of the, the, I mean, do you like any of the studio horror movies that have come out in the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think with any sort of, uh, well, studio ones are tough. Yeah, I mean, there's always about one or two a year. Um, I don't see as much stuff as I used to horror-wise, because it, they all just seem so repetitive. Um, I'm trying to think what I saw recently. I mean, I, of course, like everybody, I like Let the Right One In, which is so not a studio movie, right. but, but that was great. And that's a movie that uh, was here, I guess, last year? Yeah, yeah, And won year. here, which, you know, thank you, Tribeca, for awarding a horror movie. Yeah. But that's a movie that is a sort of arty horror movie. Yeah, it's, and, like, and, it's, and, it's like a f- art house foreign language film. It just happens to be about vampires. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it did, I think, very well for what it was. And everyone seems to, it's just sort of gained all this respect and I think it deserves it. And I, I wish there was more movies. Now, of course, what are they doing? They're remaking it. And, I, and they're going to remake it to be way more exciting, right. I'm sure. Which is like, oh, all right, that's an option. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess I'm blanking on the stand here on what well, other movies have come well, out. Well, let me ask you this. How do you feel about, like, there's now this trend, which I'm sure everyone in the room is familiar with, this trend of, you know, remaking or rather updating these iconic slasher films, primarily the slasher films. So you have like Prom Night, you have Friday, I mean Michael Bay and his company Platinum Dunes are doing that. I mean they've, they're... They've been Rob Zombie with Halloween and yeah, all Yeah, exactly. Stuff, yeah. I mean and now Rob Zombie's got the new Halloween sequel to his... I mean the funniest to me was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they did the remake of the original and then they did the prequel yeah, yeah. To, the ori- to the remake to of the, the original. original. So I mean there's all... I mean basically and now they've, they've just announced that they're going to do a, a reboot or remake uh, of Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I mean, what? It, it's weird. Like, like for me, it's weird as a horror fan because you see that and you're like, well, it, it, I wish you know the kids today uh, would just see the original. But at the same time, you, you realize that you know most teenagers today, you know, don't really care about seeing those classic films. I, I think not necessarily just Hollywood, but I think just mainstream anything really capitalizes on the lowest common denominator. And I think in, in those remake situations, like you said, they're very iconic figures. So a, a lot of people may never have seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but everyone is kind of familiar with that name and a chainsaw. Like, everyone knows what it is, I mean, even it if they've never seen it. tells you pretty much what you're going to get, right? Yeah, there. and so I think in a way it's maybe like genius marketing or genius like... Uh, Thing to jump on for the appeal of, of, of people, but it's disappointing. I mean, it's it's certainly lame. But they're I mean, very successful. Yeah, they are. I mean, I think Friday the 13th made crazy money. Um, and even they just remade uh, Last House on the Left, which I haven't seen, which yeah. I, I've heard is actually okay. But what a weird movie to remake, because that movie is just, like, disgustingly horrific. Um, and it came at a time... It's just such a bizarre choice to be like, you know what movie we should remake is the one where the girl gets, like, raped in the woods, and then her parents get bummed out and kill the people like whoa Um, but I mean and then let's make it really cool and glossy like and what was kind of successful about the original is that it was like the most disgusting movie ever that advertised itself as being a disgusting movie and kind of dared you to see it and and brought upon this sort of like 
real take on things. Um, and that's the complete opposite of what the remake, I'm sure, did. Right? And I, can, I haven't seen it, so right. I could be talking out of my ass. But uh, from what it looks like to me, it looks like they made it to like a hip, regular movie about rape and murder, which is like bold. Would you, would, I mean, you may have been offered this in the past, but would you re- entertain doing a remake of one of those classic horror films? Absolutely. No. Um, I think, uh, you know, yeah, I, yeah. depends on, yes, depends on the, the, the amount of money. I have to leave right now yeah, and go yeah. do it. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think, I think there's an element of like uh, wanting to step up, not necessarily in your career, because I just said it's not about the career, but it, there's an element of wanting to sort of be like $20 million movie. Like, what could we pull off with that? You know, there's something tempting about that. If it was a movie that the remake, I think if I could write and direct the remake of something that I didn't feel was like a big deal to remake. Or, or was that great to begin yeah, with? Yeah, well, no, that doesn't, the, the, the not good to begin with doesn't really matter to me that much. Um, as much as like, if I was like, oh, this is an okay story and it's a situation that I'm in where it's like, yeah, it could be worse. And I could write it and do my own take on it. Yes. As far as just picking up someone else's script and then being like, we're capitalizing on Freddy. I just don't think I would do a good enough job. And I think anyone would see through me while I was trying to bullshit my way into the job. They would be like, this kid doesn't want to make this movie. Um, and, and again, going back to how it's sort of a lifestyle, like you can't, if you're going to be as passionate as I am about the movies that I make, you can't fake the passion for something you don't care about. It just doesn't come out naturally. Do you, is, there any, is there any film left? Now that they're doing Nightmare on Elm Street, can you think about it? Like, what, I mean, like film that like... I think they pulled the plug on Rosemary's Baby. They, I think right, they finally right, right. just went, I don't right. know where we can go with that. I think Poltergeist if they really wanted to like... Yeah, that's true. But that movie's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, that movie the, holds up amazingly well. Yeah, but I mean, arguably so, well... Yeah, I mean, I guess... I mean, even The Exorcist, they tried to like revitalize years Twice, ago. yeah. With like Paul Schrader and yeah, 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 yeah. And the weird thing is that they did that and Paul Schrader made it and everyone went, dude, no one wants to see a regular movie. So then they got Rennie Harlan to go make the hip version and then they both failed. Right, right. So like, it, it, this, the logic is just out the window at this point. Would you let somebody remake one of your movies 20 years from now? I don't know if I'd have that option. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I guess, I don't know. That would be... It's too bizarre to even try to fathom that. Like some um, like twelve year old kid today, twenty years from now is like. If they did it I'm like this, the roost. if they did it like the Indiana Jones kid did, I would love it. Like it sort of the, like yeah. a sh- like handheld. Yeah, shaky if, if it was a bunch of kids doing shot for shot remakes, that would be amazing. Yeah, but who would have the time? <laughs> so so speaking of of sort of the horror genre and the horror out there in society, I mean, what is your take on um, sort of the politics of of horror, like the or rather the the media's conception that. I mean, you touched on a little bit comparing sort of horror to porn, which is a very, very valid, very strong argument that I agree with and I also subscribe and that's to. that's not shitting on either of them. No, Because no, I no. like horror and porn. Yeah. So, I mean, like, they're both great. No, It's exactly. just saying, like, that's it's just saying, they are coming synonymous, right. which is, like, it's maybe not the best thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all about sort of the pure emotion of sex or violence, you know, um, and sometimes both. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there's oftentimes, like, the press sort of rallies against horror films for whatever reason. And I'm just kind of curious from your take, or curious about your take on that, because, you know, like, you know, people like, you know, Eli Roth or, you know, I mean, people get sort of this bad reputation based on sort of what their film is trying to say about society or maybe like what they're trying to say about like the war or any of that kind of stuff. Do you subscribe to that kind of stuff? Um, I think in a lot of people who get sort of, put in a sort of a witch hunt situation like that, it's because they're successful more so than what they're saying. Um, it is definitely because what they've become successful at is repugnant to certain people. Um, but, 
I don't know. I mean, how many I mean, people... I mean, I guess, do you, do you think there's a place for politics and horror, I guess, is what I mean, absolutely. Do I think that that's the reason people are sort of... There's a backlash by the media to movies like Hustle? Not at all. I think it's... This movie sounds disgusting, and it seems to be making a lot of money, and that guy seems to be having a really good time doing it. Right. And that's just unacceptable. Right. Um, and that's lame. I mean, I, but I don't know that. That's always been the case. You know, everything from rock and roll all the way on out. Anything that's somewhat controversial that's successful has people just dying for it or people just wanting to destroy it. Um, which ultimately just makes it more popular. Um, has anyone ever wanted to destroy one of your films? Because of what it Interesting question. Um, of, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the media. The yeah. media. No, I'm not on the radar of people yeah. like that. And, and, and I've made... Uh, I'm not on the radar and, and my movies fall into a very kind of specific crack of well, like, yeah. it's like it's indie like, people. It'd be like someone going after Let the Right One In for being like, how could dare they have vampires and children? It's like, it's not on the radar right, enough. Right. Which is good, it shouldn't be. Like, it shouldn't be discussed on the news. Talk about the fucking war on the news. Don't talk about vampire kids. That's a waste right. of everybody's time. Right, right. Don't talk about Eli making a gross movie on the fucking news. Right. Like, there's more important things going on. Do you, so speaking of, speaking of uh, Eli and remakes, so, so you made... Um, and teed this, that one right up for you. This, is, this isn't a remake, but it's a sequel. So your third feature film, I'm, you know, is a sequel, I guess. Yes. Yeah, a sequel to Eli Roth's breakout film, which was Cabin Fever. Um, you referred to it as Cabin Fever, but it's it's a sequel to Cabin Fever, which Lionsgate released years ago. I, you know, the only thing I'm just curious about is, you know, do you feel that the film will? get out there for people to see because you made it a couple years ago and it still has not been released. It has to. That no one's going to just not release a film. So I don't know when. I mean, that situation, ultimately what happened with that situation is that I got hired to do the movie and very pleasant situation. Still like all the people involved. Everyone was great. Like no one's an asshole and that has nothing to do with it. Um, but uh, got along well, kind of wanted to do a totally different story. They let me do that, rewrote everything. Um, got to cast everyone I want, got to hire everyone I want, went to North Carolina, made the movie that I want, everyone was there, everyone was having a great time, hands down, best time of my entire life. It was amazing. Um, and a lot of people that have worked on that movie have then worked on House of the Devil, and I'll work on things probably till the day I die. Like, great people were on that movie. Um, came back to LA, edited the movie, was very happy with it, and then classic Hollywood story, you kind of run into some sort of trouble with the studio and with the cut. Now, fine. Didn't expect to get away with it that easily. Um, but what happened was there was just sort of just some like behind the scenes issues that were bigger than, oh, we want to change some things in the right. movie. And they were sort of just unfortunate that nothing, ha no, no particular person was like the reason for it. It just all this shit piled up and made it difficult. So when it was like, we want to get, we want to recut it differently. Yeah, that sucks. But you can deal with that and you can find a compromise. But... That was in September of 07, and by the time they actually put the wheels in motion to do that was at the end of January of 08. And in that four-month dead time, I just got freaked out that maybe this movie is just going to disappear. I don't know. I should never got the job in the first place. So I was like, what am I doing? So the fact that it, it went down like that, um, I, House of the Devil showed up again. And there was money, and it was like, oh... Maybe I ought to just go make this movie. Maybe I want to make the movie. Maybe I should just go and do it because who knows what's going to happen to the other movie. And right when I went to go do it, Cabin Fever started back up again. And it was just... And when you say started back up again, like people were like... Let's, let's go. Let's, yeah. We're going to re-edit. We're going to really do it now. And I was like, well, shit. Like, 
I've been waiting for four months and it's not your fault, but I've now I got something else. Can you wait till I get back? And they were like, no, we can't wait till you get back because we got to release this movie. And that was a real bummer because to me it was like, we just sat for four months. You can't wait one more month. Right, and right. they couldn't. And, and it's not, again, it's not, it's not fuck them. It's just in their mind, they couldn't. And in my mind, I'm not going to drop the movie that I'm making for the movie that's been uh, questionable for the past four months. So, I went to Connecticut, um, I gave the editor a bunch of notes, and I went to Connecticut, and then when I came back, um, I was super unhappy with what they did. Um, and so you think, all right, well then, now we just start fixing it, or meeting in the middle. But it was really like, no, we're on a schedule, we have to keep moving, we can't meet in the middle, we can't go back to what you want. And then it got, then it got sort of, you know, yeah. argumentative for a while, and that was unpleasant. But it wasn't horrible. It was just your stock issue. Like, I don't like this. We want to do this. Well, we can't go back to that. What are we going to do? And that went on for a little while. And then I went to edit House of the Devil to kind of cool down and work on what I've been working on. And the movie kind of went down again for a little while. And then it resurfaced again exactly perfectly at the time that I was going to New York to finish House of the Devil. So it was this weird thing that, like, they wanted my involvement. I wanted to be involved, but the timeline and the sort of financial issues, just everything hit perfectly to just screw everything up. So that kept happening just over and over again. And then at that point I had moved on to the House of the Devil and it got to the point where it was like, they kind of wanted me to be involved, but there wasn't really, I couldn't get involved and be like, but I want to change this back to this, right? Let's do this like this. Or when we do the sound, let's hire this. It became, we're just riding this one out. And I eventually just was like, you know what? You guys have been riding it out on your own and you're doing a good enough job. I, I don't want to come sit behind you and just sort of nod along. It's, I got another movie going on. Good luck. And so it, it ended relatively amicably like that, but it's a downer, you know, that... Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you, that for a lot of people, for a lot of filmmakers, that's got to be sort of the dream. It's like, okay, I made, you know, two low-budget films. Like, yeah, I mean, going back to what I said, it was, without a doubt, the right. best time I've ever had. Like, it was right. awesome. And I thought the movie was going to be great. Like, everything was on track to be fine. And then it just got... It got fucked up. And then the, the priorities of myself and then the, the producers were just very different. And um, there wasn't an ability to compromise. And so the best thing to do was either like, ultimately I was just in a situation where I was like, I need to move on. This has been sitting too long and you guys need to move on. So you do your thing right. and I'll do mine. And that's disappointing. I mean, to like walk away from a movie like that is horrifying. Like, it's not pleasant at all. So what, what's the latest in terms of like... I don't it, know. I think um, it's got to be either done or almost done. I'm not very involved... Or I'm not at all involved anymore. I haven't talked to them in, in, in ew, almost a year, probably. Um, so I, I think I'll know as soon as anyone else knows right, when it's right. going to come out. And yeah. it will show up at one point. And, and hopefully there's still something there that, that's valuable. I mean, it's nothing that I'm necessarily psyched about. But, um, you know, hopefully I think you can still see what it could like have been. Like what your vision yeah. was or what you intended Which I was ultimately be. making a really disgusting comedy. Like, like a movie like Happiness or a John Waters movie. I was, it was a really gross social commentary movie. And, um, and they wanted a horror movie. Yeah, like I, mean, a I, think, movie. I think they were just a little bit split on what they wanted. And I think I was very specific about what I wanted. And then when they were kind of split, there wasn't a lot of room to wiggle from what I gave them. And I think, um, I think all that stuff's still in the movie. As far as I know, they didn't cut anything out to be like, oh, all my greatest scenes aren't in right, there. Right. It's just kind of like, I, you know what I describe it as? I describe it as like, it's like Dane Cook telling Seinfeld jokes. <laughs> yeah. Like, the material's not bad, right. but something's just fucked up about the way it's being delivered, and it's just like, I'm not laughing. Even right. though it's like, because he's got all this enthusiasm, but it's, it's just the wrong delivery. So that's kind of where it was at when I left, was like, this is just the wrong tone. Yeah. No, I hear you, I hear you. Well, 
we look forward to seeing it, even though it's not exactly yes. what you intended, but still look forward to seeing all your hard work. Um, real quick, and then we'll open it up to questions. Um, you know, you've talked about, you know, obviously, you know, you talk about the fact that you edit your own stuff, um, you know, and, you know, I'm assuming that's something you'll always want to do. Yes, I yeah. would. I mean, I think it's a very... Well, it's a very important to the genre. I mean, especially if you're making horror films, it's very an important process. And If you're just, someone who writes, directs, and edits your own movie, it's very much your voice and you're putting yourself out there. And I've just been accustomed to doing that. And I, that, to me, is the, the movies that I go see where the people do that are the most interesting to me. And that's the most interesting part of the process to me is really it's just like it is the sort of director's movie and it's either going to be just a disaster or it's going to be great. Well, in horror films, um, or films that are intended to scare you or creep you out, you know, it's very similar to, to comedies in a way that, like, pace and tone is very important. Like, it, and like you said, I mean, in terms of, like, the delivery, whether it's, you know, the Dane Cook tone or the Jerry Seinfeld tone, it can be very important. For you, how do you measure that? How do you experiment with that when you're editing? You know, how, you know, because, you know, you're not editing the film. I mean, you are editing the film for you, but you're also editing the film to scare an audience. How does that process work for I you? I think, for me anyway, I think you just, you have a plan. And you stick to your plan. And like I said, either your plan is so fucking wrong, and you're just going to look like an asshole in front of everybody, or you kind of know what you're doing, and the people that, are, that, that like what you're doing are going to get it. And the, but there's not going to be a lot of middle ground. It's either going to be, this was great, and here's all the reasons I liked it, or this movie sucks. Um, but I think, for me, editing is a really weird process, because it's like, you get all the footage and before you edit it, it's like there's this moment of just terror of like, oh my God, I have so much work to do and like, what if it's not good? Like all the insecurities that you could ever have just stack on top of you. But to me, it's great to edit the movie because no one else knows. I can just go and hide in a room and I hide all the stuff that's like, oh, that's not very right, good. Yeah. And then you really just kind of rebuild the movie and essentially rewrite the movie. And if your plan was, was there in the beginning and if your actors knew your plan and if they saved you by doing better jobs than you ever thought they could have, which they did in this movie, and everyone comes through for you, you'll find it, you know? And it's like I work very closely with the sound designer, Graham Resnick, and composer Jeff Grace, and they save it a lot too. And it's, we all are on this, we all have the same common goal, and it's very specific, and we work very well together. So, you know, you just gotta kinda white knuckle your way through all the bad times, and know that when it comes out in the end, it's gonna be okay, but there's gonna be moments that you're gonna, oh, this, this could be rough. Um, do you do you do you do like test screenings to see how it how the scares work and no I, I have like a, a core of friends that I really trust um, it's a very small group of people and I think one the reason I don't I don't think test screenings are good is because I think I, I guess there's there's validity to them in the sense that like if every single person doesn't understand something that's going on that's like a big mess a mistake problem. yeah but if people don't like something that doesn't matter like. Who, who cares if they don't like it? You know, it's like, I, I feel like the best thing to test screen would be posters and trailers because you're test screening the movie to try to get the most people to see it. Well, then nobody sees the movie before they go see the movie. So they should just make a whole bunch of trailers and test screen that and see who likes that the most. But when you find a, like a scene in a movie 77 minutes in and go, ah, that scene, something about it, right. I didn't like it. Well, we'll take it out, sir. That's just weird. Like, that's saying that that person now is deciding for everyone in the world that you're not able to intellectually handle that scene. Whether, whether it's something disgusting, whether it's something with nudity, whether it's something boring, it doesn't matter. It's just a weird kind of form of censorship that I don't think is necessary in the success of a movie. The success of a movie nowadays is simply box office and DVD sales, both of which exist based on people not seeing the movie. So, um, you know, I have a people that I bounce it off of, but for the most part, again, you have your plan and you hopefully know what you're doing to where you're like, 
this is gonna work. It's not gonna work for me because I know what's gonna happen, but it's it's gonna work. Yeah. Well, you know, it'll be great to see it tonight with an audience. I think you'll dig it. I think yeah, it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be cool. a lot of fun. Um, so, anybody have any questions? We've got a few minutes. Right over here. Um, I have a quick question. Um, when you were working in the mall, what gave you hope to to go, you know, to continue? And also, how did you go about getting an agent? Um, okay. The mall thing and hope. I don't know that I ever had hope. Um, I went to film school, and I had made some short films, and I met Larry Fessenden. And the form of hope that I have is also fortune, because I met Larry Fessenden, and Larry liked the short films that I made. And he said, is the only thing stopping you from making a feature money? And I said, yeah. And he's like, well, if I gave you a little bit of money, could you go do it yourself? So I'm very fortunate to have had that opportunity. Um, and then that movie did well, and so that kind of was the end of that. However, I'm not good, I'm not good at selling jeans. I'm not good at really anything else. I did shitty in high school. I'm not, like, I, basically, I can either direct movies or be a busboy. Those, those are my skills. So I didn't want to be a busboy, and I didn't want to sell jeans anymore. And so uh, nowadays, you can really make movies for really cheap. I mean, speaking of South by Southwest from before, like, I went there with The Roost in 2005 and had pretty good success and I met a lot of really great filmmakers and then I went back the next year just for fun because I had such a good time and fucking Joe Swanberg who I met last year was there with another movie and I was like what do you mean you made another movie and he's like oh dude I just went and made another one and I was like god damn it you're like you're beating all of us so I just that's how Trigger Man happened it was like he just went and made another $5,000 movie I'm gonna like I'll fine I'll go do it so that was that as far as the agent thing is concerned one thing I would say is banish the idea from your head that that's gonna solve any of your problems because it doesn't do anything. Um, I got an agent because someone I knew had an agent and I got good reviews on Trigger Man and those agents liked the movie and therefore they said, hey, you sign with us. Um, none of that, and this is not bad-mouthing them at all, they're great guys, but it has nothing to do with how this movie got made, has nothing to do with the next project I'm doing, has nothing to do with anything I've done. I have an ICM, it's one of the big agencies, does, has not gotten me a job yet. And it might, I might come here next year and go, dude, it's the best thing ever. But from my experience and my friend's experience, they don't, they don't really get you work. They're there to sort of help you get what you want out of the work. But even that is a little questionable depending on the kind of movies that you're making. Um, because agencies are not art friendly. Um, agencies are about studio movies and about making a lot of money, which is great. But um, I have yet to sort of connect those dots. So do you do you have a do you have a manager do you have a lawyer I, I have it all yeah. um, which is weird you know I have a manager who's a really great guy he's a good friend of mine and he looks out for me and he takes care of the shit that I don't want to take care of um, and then I have a lawyer who's great because you get contracts and there's little things in there that you would never I mean you could read a contract and you could get the majority of it like this is no this isn't gonna work but then the lawyer goes see the wording here is a problem and we just need to get and and they do protect you with things like that and that's very helpful um, that having said all of them take a lot of your money but I don't make any money so it's fine so um, you know yeah. I, t t ten percent of zero is still zero ex exactly it doesn't bother me another question right here uh, oh, you mentioned that you wrote the screenplay uh, originally four years ago were there a lot of things that were changed uh, uh, for the new version in, because of things that you learned uh, making other two movies during, the, during that time? Did everybody hear the question? I can repeat it. Yeah, go ahead. He just said, you wrote the script four years ago. Did you change, anything change over the time? Um, yeah, I don't think anything drastic changed. I think there was some bad writing and some dialogue that was just beyond corny that I hopefully rectified. Um, and there was just sort of 
um, I had to rewrite it again for the house that we were in because I wrote it a bit based on an imaginary house. So I think practical things change, but no, it's, it's, it's pretty similar to the same movie. I just think it's a better, leaner version of that movie. Another one here? All right. Hey, um, is that 80s throwback watch, is that something from your childhood? Or oh. is that something that you made a conscious decision to put on? And follow-up question, going back to the, the style of the 80s in your film, was, that, was it difficult to fight against kind of all of the stylistic advances of the 90s? Well, I, don't, I won't say advances, but all the changes in the 90s and, and really dig and find that, that 80s style. Um, the watch is um, his, his talking about his I have a calculator watch, watch. I, I've worn this watch for a really long time um, this is not like from my childhood but it is the exact same watch from the they still make them in like Taiwan so like I just when they break because they break every like two years I just get another one on eBay for seven it's, bucks it's efficient yeah, it's you fine. Do, you can do math. You know? you you don't, I've only used the calculator about once but you know, it worked um, and as far as the 80s style if you're talking cinematically um, it wasn't like a lot of people say the movie's very homage to the 80s and, and I'm not opposed to that but I don't totally agree with it because homage to me a lot of times is similar to parody and that can be a bummer to me um, so there's a lot of zooms in the movie and there's a lot of kind of stylistic choices that are familiar to 80s stuff but that's not on purpose to be like an 80s movie that's just my aesthetic from growing up with that and liking that stuff the most um, as far as the challenge of making a period piece on a very low budget very difficult um, and I was outrageously specific and uh, a giant pain in the ass about it. So like, the costume designer and I would go together to the costume houses and spend hours picking out things exactly. Um, the production designer, Jade, and I would just go over and over and over again, and I would just, I would make her change so many things, they'd be like, no, 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 it's gotta be exactly this. The wood paneling has to be this wood panel. Well, they have this at Home Depot. Well, we gotta go to Lowe's, because that's not right. Um, so I, I, I think they did an amazing job at following through with my insanity, and I think for the budget that we have, um, and what the movie is, the, the style of the 80s is, is like dead-on realistic early 80s. Um, and, and that was very important to me, and they, they came through for me. Cool. Right here. Uh, I, a question about budget. Exactly what kind of budget were you talking about for the last film you, you made? For Cabin Fever sequel? The, the, this one here. This one. This one? Um, see, it's weird. I, hmm, see, I... Under a million. Yeah, that's the best way to say it. That's what people always say. I, it's like, you're not... Because we're sort of in the market of being successful, talking about budgets is usually a bad idea. But what Matt said is accurate. So, um, but it was more than my other movies. Not more than Cabin Fever, but more than all my other movies. More than my other movies combined. But yet still what he said. So, I know that answer sucks, but what are you going to do? <laughs> Wait until the film gets bought and Here's also there. another thing. Anytime you ask a budget question... Downer answer. No one's ever <laughs> yeah, bought. Like, yeah. dude, here's the answer. Here's exactly yeah. how much it costs. Want yeah. to see the receipts? So I'm just following the path. Question over there. Um, I, I'm I'm a film uh, filmmaker, writer, actor. I got a few scripts I'd love to get to. I know this. I know it's kind of dicey this week. You don't have any time, but um, I I what was your, what's your favorite three horror films? And do, do, uh, directors like Hitchcock. Or can you, can you give me some insight as to you, the suspense and, and those kind of movies enter into the genre of horror and what you do? Yeah, I mean, Hitchcock is one of the best filmmakers of all time. And I think the, the, certainly The House of the Devil, although the trailer makes it look like this outrageously violent, disgusting movie, is actually way more of a suspense-driven movie and a mystery movie than anything else. Um, and that's the thing about Hitchcock is that Hitchcock's movies were not overtly horror movies. I mean, you like, you rewatch you re Psycho and like there's like 
three people die in the whole movie. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. it's like not like the it's gut. about the build up um, to what you think is going to happen. And Hitchcock had a way of of just sort of mastering the whole world of like we're going to show you a bomb on the bus, and then we're going to show you a kid get on the bus, and you know the fucking thing is going to blow up, but you don't know when, and you're going to go crazy. Um, uh, as far as giving me stuff, you can. Um, maybe I'll read it. Probably won't. Just being honest, not because of you, just because I write my own stuff, and I'm just being. I know me. Like I'm just like I. You know, maybe on the plane I'll read it and go, "Oh my god, it's amazing." So you can give it to me and I'll take it. I'm not gonna throw it out. But um, I, I don't know that that will turn into anything necessarily. But um, as far as favorite horror movies. I don't know. I think certainly The Shining is one of the best. Rosemary's Baby is great. Um, the Changeling is one of my favorites. Um, what else do I like? Uh, this is not one of my favorites, but when I came here, I just rewatched Ninth Gate, which I think is awesome. The last scene sort of falls apart, but I think that movie is amazing. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I can go on and on about that. I mean, I just said super stock issue answers, but you know, they are the, they are the best. You know? I, mean, I, I, think, I think we definitely get a sense that Ty is a is a is a horror. I, I don't want to say scholar because that sounds like more. Well, boring. yeah, but, I mean, but you appreciate the genre for you know warts and all, but you're also kind of a purist. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, believe me, my DVD collection has some of the shittiest movies ever made, and then some of the greatest movies ever made. So, um, but also, but like you studied, like I mean, this is obviously something that the press likes to glom onto. But like, for example, you studied with uh, with Kelly Reichert, who is not a horror filmmaker. Like, she not just had Wendy and Lucy released. She had a film called Old Joy a couple years ago. And so, I mean, your sensibility, while horror is certainly an influence, you also have these influences that are very, like, neorealism, American I think for American me, the, the neorealism thing is, is a current thing that I think is, is really great, but mostly because it's progressive. And even though it's the ultimate, almost minimalistic way of filmmaking, um, that... In, in contrast to what's going on in Hollywood is progressive. And that is saying, you know, like Gus Van Sant's Jerry was totally amazing for me. Now that movie could kill people, but I think it's amazing. Um, because it was like, this is all the stuff you're being fed, and then I'm going to just do something totally different. Um, and I really respond to that. I respond to people trying to push things uh, in, a, in, a, in a direction that makes you question what you have. I think that's, that, to me, still retains the art value. Um, which I think is lost in Hollywood, which I feel like art can still be a commodity. I don't understand why people now feel like it has to be one or the other. Well, like like uh, Trigger Man, for example. I mean, I remember, like, you know, I, me, like probably a lot of people who know you and a lot of people who are fans of your work, you know, after seeing The Roost and you said, I have a new film, you know, I popped it in. I was like, okay, you know, expecting The Roost. And it's a very different kind of film. And it really is more akin to, like, a Kelly Reichert film than it is, like, you know, a Roman plan or maybe not Roman Polanski, but, you know, a, hor a typical horror film. Yeah, I think, for me, it's really important as a filmmaker, and having been, uh, again, pretend it's not me saying this for a second, but, like, prolific, um, like, there's something, like, repeating myself is really uninteresting. So, to, to continue to make horror movies is already close enough to repeating yourself. So, I, I do want to try to do boldly different things within the genre. And that, to me, is sort of, you could call that experimental, because there's still a, a, a semblance of style in there. And I, I feel like if you watch any of my movies, you can be like, I can kind of tell it's still that guy that made it, and that's cool, but these movies are so, so different. Um, and, and House of the Devil is very, very different than all my other movies. Just like, you know, Trigger Man's really different. And I, I'm okay with the fact that some people could be like, dude, The Roost is awesome. 
Trigger Man is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. That's fine. Or vice versa. Like, they could be like, I, The Roost sucks, but I saw Trigger Man and I, that's totally awesome. And I think that, um, as far as going back to the lifestyle thing, that's what I'm trying to accomplish, is trying to experiment and do different things, and hopefully they find audiences and whoever appreciates them. Any more questions? We can probably Actually, have time yeah. for one more. Yeah, we have time for one more, exactly. Right here, right in front of me. Great. Uh, what's your next project? Um, I'm doing, well, I'm not supposed to talk about it because it's not 100% finalized, which means it will never happen. Um, but uh, I'm doing like a series sort of thing, just trying to step outside the box and try something different. Um, uh, hopefully, like a, a fictional series? Or yeah, hopefully I can sort of divulge more information. Let's sit down. We got to do one more question. Because that's such a... I had those being so, so I just, evasive. I just threw out the worst last answer of all time. Someone shout something out. What was the budget? Shout it out. <laughs> Anyone else? Anyone? Well, and you oh, also Bueller. worked... You also... Oh, right here. Save the day. A lot of there pressure right now. Riding on you. Okay, you said you were interested in exploring different genres. Which genre and why, specifically? Okay, fair yeah, enough. Are we ever going to see a Ty West, like, bromance comedy starring Paul Maybe Rudd. not a bromance, but I have a movie... That's like this totally awesome romantic comedy. That's that's would be really great. Um, that I would love to make. Um, so I, you know, I think my interests are always in things that are a bit edgy because that's just in my personality. Um, but no, I, there's there's a romantic comedy that I that I that I really want to make that no one will ever give me money for because why would they? Because um, they, they both kill each other. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, just because it's like, dude, that guy shouldn't go make a romantic comedy, but it would be really good. Um, and then I have this other movie that I've been trying to get made for about a year now, which I'm a big fan of, which is like a hooker movie that I'm really into, um, and everyone loves it, but yet no one gives you the money. Um, and there's another thing I don't want to talk about yet that I that I might actually do that's like boldly different. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I sort of didn't answer your question at all. But, you know, any, anything, if you looked at my DVD collection, the majority of it is not horror. Even though it's maybe my favorite genre, there's still the Back of the Future box set, all the John Hughes movies, all that stuff just stacked. And then occasionally in there you're like, oh, last house on the left. Um, so, I, to me, just film on a whole is interesting. And I, a lot of this last thing I'll say is no, that, no. like, most of my, all of my movies are about 50-50. The first half of the movie is just a very regular movie, generally kind of a drama or something like that, and then it turns into a horror movie. Because that, to me, going back to that contrast comment, is what horror is like. You know, if you, if you had a home invasion at your house, you were just looking at shit on YouTube right before it happened and being really bored, and then your life just became outrageously horrifying. And that, to me, is, is, is my interest in the horror genre, is that what was your, li your mundane -like life like right before it just got flipped upside down? Do you, is Twilight in your... I haven't seen it, although I know Catherine, and I think she's great. So I don't know... Um, I didn't see her other movie either, the, uh, the, the, the Mary nativity, one. Yeah, yeah, the nativity scene. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did like Lords of Dogtown, yeah. and she's super cool. Yeah. So, Give it up for Ty West, everybody. Thanks a lot, everyone. Come see the movie tonight if you uh, can get a ticket, and it's playing through the rest of the festival. Thanks again to IndieWire and Apple.